0: to Crossing Phase, uh, where a Christian and Muslim talk religion and politics, although we've uh, ousted the Christian on on this episode. Um, Matthew Hawkins is on hiatus, and I have my uh, good friend and colleague here, um, Manal Omar from Across Red Lines, and we're here to talk about uh, our post-election eval. Uh, So we're going to get down and dirty on that, although we did have a conversation about what is the best cut? For a sandwich prior to our recording and i think the consensus was a triangular cut sandwich is inexplicably more delicious than a square cut sandwich is that are you are you on point with that manal or
1: absolutely i mean it's much easier to hold so i like that (laughs) i
0: think the corners are much more delicious as the, the smaller they are the smallest part of the sandwich the morsel
1: Right. I think we're going to have to come back and visit crust or no crust in this analysis. So <laughs>
0: oh. it came very close to saying Christ or no Christ. So uh, on this podcast, that can be very dicey. So, no, we're we're talking about that. Crusts. We're not no, talking we're about Christ. It's a metaphor for anything. That's my disclaimer statement. All right. So uh, just talking about sandwiches. I didn't go there. Well, the problem is, is like we said, we do talk about religion and politics. So there's a couple of our fans that are out there that will say, <laughs> What does the sandwich represent? And it just oh, represents God. a sandwich. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So. I'm I'm very familiar within our own tradition of the literalists. So, yeah. so yeah, <laughs> Good morning. Not... Good morning.
0: So, you know, we we wanted to do a little post-election business. I know this. Uh, you know, Matthew and I spent uh, uh, some time at the election, going back and forth. And I know that uh, Matthew's been out and about, uh, and I was heavily embedded dealing with both campaigns. But uh, well, we have a, a, a really amazing moment in time where we have uh, a president-elect uh, uh, Joe, Joe Biden, vice president, uh, former president, vice president Biden. And then we also have uh, the first first woman vice president, presidential elect, uh, president-elect, uh, and then we also have a a, a third. We have a president, um, so who hasn't conceded yet. So, so we have this interesting moment in time. And so I, we felt that it was it would be really interesting for for uh, for us to kind of do a post uh, on the election and really get some 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 opinions back and forth. Um, and Manal is uniquely positioned uh, to to give us uh, uh, her take on on post election. So maybe I'll just give you a. Uh, a general question: uh, Where were you during the election? How how did it go for you? Were you you know rooting for one side? Do you want to th- root for one side? Um, and say you're for a camp or and uh, and and really, wh- what were you feeling during this time?
1: So I mean, I was I was actually on election day in Philly. So I love that claim to be able to say that I was in Philly, and that's okay. kind of where. It- It really went down and I am a proud Democrat, Um, but I have to say this was one of the first elections where I found it really hard to vote. Um, You know, I wasn't expecting a landslide win. I wasn't expecting, um, you know, uh, you know, the way it was being framed in terms of just getting Trump out. Um, I wanted to see a lot more healing, a lot more reconciliation in the last four years. And I was very disappointed that I didn't see it. Uh, And my worst fears were kind of revealed in this election, which was was so tight. Um, You know, yet again, polling is completely off, which just isn't just about the statistics about the level of safety the citizen feels in sharing their accurate vote. And I think those are stronger indicators of where we are as a country than who won or who lost. Like, I really feel this election, um, to a certain extent, we're all losers because of the tension that's surrounding it, because of the polarization that we're in as a country and the divide. Um, Clearly, I'm happy to see history made with Kamala and the vice president. Um, but I, you know we've been here before, and we paid a really heavy price for the first black president, so I think that we need to just be aware of what the cost and what the price is for this new breakthrough as a country
0: I, I appreciate that that insight it's I, I across the river is a place called Rhinebeck, New York, and everybody had Biden Harris signs, and one of my buddies had one on his lawn, and I said to him, "You know I said, "Oh you're going Biden Harris and he goes, "No no i 'm not he goes i just don't i he goes i want everybody to everybody think i'm a-lib, lib, but i 'm voting trump and yeah. And, uh, and and I had a friend down the road who owns a garage and he painted Black Lives Matter on his on his on his garage, really explicit across the top. And I go, God, I go, you're he said you're you're all in on this. He goes, I don't want to get vandalized he goes, I don't I don't really know. And I don't really care about Black Lives Matter is what he said. And so there is a lot of of, of, of. of sort of feigning you know, in, in, in back and forth on what's going on in fencing. I used to fence where you're, you fake a move and, and people are saying that they are something or going to do something. Um, i worked with a, a polling, uh, organization, one of the top polling organizations and the, 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 the president and executive director of it said, look, polls are nonsense. He goes, whoever pays for the poll gets the information they want. Um, we submit the questions. And then once we get the data, we can do anything with the data. So, um, but I also think that there's so much information flowing back and forth that you know, people fear change, right? But mm-hmm. things are changing so fast because of the internet and the information that's flowing. And even if you have a trend right now, it moves so far down the road. And by the time you say you're for that trend, uh, you might have recommitted to something sexier. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, and right, because we're not talking about any dramatic or surprising change, right? I mean, you know, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, you can't get more of a common, you know, denominator among, you know, that these lives matter, and yet it's still controversial. And this is, you know, centuries in the making. When you're talking about women's rights, I mean, you know, what we're talking about as the big change, I mean, it's molasses for this country. You know, we've been talking about it for centuries, if not decades. And, you know, what we're really, I think what made me sad is we continuously miss the structural violence and the institutional structure that is causing all of this. Um, and you know, we almost became obsessed with Trump to a point where it was distraction from the real institutional changes that need to happen. And I think that's where I become worried is we want quick fixes. And if anything, we want that change on the surface. We don't want to go deep-rooted. And you know, of course, I don't think any politicians just because of the nature of short-term and policy making, um, will really invest in that long-term change. So I want to see it from the civic engagement, from the community, where we're design- designing town halls, where we're having dialogues, where the initiative is very much a grassroots organization. And with this polarization, I can't really think of a neutral space to do that. And I think that's what really makes me sad.
0: You know, it, it's, it, rem- it reminds me of the conversation we had on, on uh, uh, it, was, it was not election day, but it was, maybe it was election day, but it was just after that when we, you and I spoke and you, and you and two other people um, said the same comment to me. And it really did mean something because with ever, any regime, whether it was the Obama regime, the Bush regime, you know, I'm always there. And, I, and the Trump regime is no different. And it was no different than me, me, my participation because I believe of working within process, right? Uh, and, you know, there's always the, 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 the people that hit the streets, but then there's the so what, what now, and I'm the so-what-what now, usually. And usually I have a group of people that are in the room. In the Trump administration, it was only me. Uh, and I was, the, in many cases, the only alternate voice. And I'm speaking for different constituencies. And some of them I I really don't even represent or I'm not even sure I know about. Um, so, But it you, you was a very thoughtful moment because everyone disengaged with the Trump administration. And, um, and I engaged. Um, I had a friend of mine who... An evangelical friend of mine, and and it was like two days after the inauguration, and he said, "Well, now he goes, what are you going to do now?" I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Uh, it's our time now. You might as well just leave Washington."
1: Mm. And I
0: go, "What are you talking about?" And he goes, "You should just leave." I go, "He goes, he goes. This is our time now." And I go, "Well, now I'm not going to leave." <laughs> and I was actually thinking about semi-retiring, and and uh, and I spent this last four years doing pro bono work, just engaging the administration, you know, and you know, never took a penny, never took an appointment, and now. I, I'm in this strange position where we have this president-elect and there's been no one on the inside talking to this administration that really knows the bulwark of what's going on. And it's much harder to work in those 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 those, those environments. And as someone who's worked throughout the Middle East and been heavily involved in government with your time at USIP and so forth, you know what it's like to be in a room with people that you don't agree with at all. Um, and you may not be the, you might be the only alternate voice but it's harder to stay in that room and participate. So I really appreciate that comment you made. And, and um, but maybe you could speak a little bit about your experience and how that is a reflection about what's going on, what happened with the Trump administration and how that's moving, move, how that is related to the Biden administration.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, one thing I do, I definitely think you and others who stayed engaged, it was a really crucial role. Um, okay. You know, I lasted nine months into the Trump administration and then I decided to, you know, resign. Um and, and and a lot of in a lot of instances, I wonder how much the decision was really mine because I was being attacked and, you know, by name on Congress. So it wasn't even like that space was something that I really had a choice in. So I think that's the other angle to always remember, because, you know, I'm always cautious of fair weather citizenship. You know, I don't want to just be an active citizen when it's a president I like or, you know, representation I like. You know, we have to always be engaged in one form or another. But I think the Trump administration was very clever and strategic in targeting people like me to make sure we were as uncomfortable and as threatened And as possible so that we would be pushed out and leave, Um, especially because I wasn't an appointee. You know, I was very proud to serve under the Obama administration, but I competed for that position. So, you know, those seats become harder. And that there was a group of us on um, tax that were encouraging each other to stay in the seat as long as possible. Like, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So congratulations to those who (laughs) managed to succeed and stay engaged like you.
0: Um, And I think... Tough, there were some tough moments. I got thrown out of the White House three times, you know, and yeah, th- then uh, a bunch of them still call me Jihadi John. Yeah, still a, a know, bunch of them horrible.
1: Still, yeah, <laughs> terrible, I'll never right? forget. There, there was a moment where, like, someone actually petted me in one of the meetings, and they're like, we know you don't want to be here, but you're being a good employee and coming, and then just kind of tapped me on the head, and I'm like, did I just get petted by this new administration? So it was pretty um
0: <laughs> I, I don't mean it that to pretty laugh at Like, but they call me, I was a whole group of people, call, they call me the unicorn yeah yeah and I don't know what I still don't know what that means <laughs> yeah you know so um well but, uh, I mean
1: it, it in in itself, it's a very derogatory and discriminatory term because they imagine that there is such a you, you know small number yeah. of Muslims that want to be engaged, and so they treat us like we're a unicorn when the reality is we are the norm in our community, Absolutely. they just have such a strong stereotype of othering us that you know even like. I still get, despite being raised in Spartanburg, South Carolina, like your English just so good. And it blows my mind every time I get that. Um and that's that's true of both administrations. So let's be fair there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, but I, it it is interesting. I mean, because in both administrations, but the, the Obama administration, you know, like I, I think I, I always tell the story. I was I was told, you know, I wasn't ethnic enough and my, my name wasn't Muslim enough. Yeah. Um that was yeah. the Obama administration that said that. And I go, like, John, yeah. John, you if you, I said if it helps. You can call me John in Arabic, you can call me Yahya, if, you, if that'll yeah. help you, you know, and any, but yeah. uh, it's strange I mean, how people by, look and perceive us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope, I, I don't see a lot of indication of this, but I hope this administration is brave enough to really go to the roots I think the Democratic Party itself has shown that it's not brave enough to have the true difficult conversations. um, And that's the party that I am aligned with. So it's the one that I want to address and help change and push a little bit Mm -hmm. further. Um, Because I really think we need to go into real difficult conversations. And one of the things that really worries me is the level that identity has begun to play a role in politics. You know, we've we've moved past expertise, we've moved past the technical skill, and we're allowing identity to define us so strongly. Um, And I think that happens when you don't have faith in governance. Um, And it's something that, it's an old statistic, I think, you know, from a few years ago, but globally, um, something close to like 65% of citizens don't have faith in their governments. And that's that's a real fear. I mean, it's a real fear when you don't, because that's when you go subculture. That's when you go sub-identity. That's when the whole social contract is really in question. And I think that's the problem that I have with the US, is we don't realize that our social contract has been broken, and we're not ready to renegotiate. It. Um, I would love an administration, and considering that the Obama administration forced this on so many other countries, um, I hope that they look inward and do a national dialogue process. I mean, we've been the lead, and I've been part of the processes doing it overseas, um, and it's long overdue in this country. You know, our country, our land, our you know, the soul of the country is begging for some type of reconciliation, and I. You know, I just don't have faith that anyone is really ready to step forward, but I know that's the kind of mantra that's the, you know, drama I'm going to be beating is like, let's really host a national dialogue. Let's really begin to have the difficult conversation, and we can't have it in this polarization, so I'd like to have the intra, like the Democrats, we need to bring the Bernie people i still call them the Hillary people, but you can call them the Biden people. But, you know, we need to bring them together. We need to start having those conversations. We need to have, you know, someone like Stacey Abrams at the front and center of, you know, her experience and her role. Um, so it's not even about reaching out to the other side. Like, we're we're not cohesive. We're not united. Right. Um, and then there's a false union among the Republicans in the Trump administration. You know, no one can convince me. I grew up in the Bible Belt. No one can convince me it's as unified and black and white as they're trying to make it look. You know, there's real depth, there's real questions, there's real soul searching going on there as much as it's going on our side. And that's the people I want to reach.
0: Yeah, I think I, it's 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 interesting to think what I mean, you're, you're what you're saying about how there needs to be reconciliation. I always look at it as like a, it's like a feud. It's 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 like the Hatfields and McCoys, and <laughs> we're uniquely positioned to deal with that because we deal with feuds, we tribal feuds, and family feuds all the time. In and you know in, in the in the areas that we work in in the Middle East and 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 Central Asia, so it's it's very familiar. I think to me, yeah. I know to you and it's it is a feud and and they, I think that they need to just particularly the, the media and how uh, and both parties need to kind of start to accept that we've moved beyond political differences and the diff- and and there was no blue wave. We're at this point where we are about 50-50 where people have a euphoric belief in uh a a person and and not even necessarily an idea behind that person uh because they represent um their tribe and and that tribe uh is really uh passionate about their existence as they should be and and we need to sort of figure out and navigate those waters you know as a Hamiltonian Federalist. I'm in between both parties, right? yeah. and I work with everybody. Um, and and it's 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 strange because there I'm always the person that gets the pocket calls from all, everybody on this that whatever it is. But then they're saying, John, we don't want you in the administration. You're you know in some cases you're not ethnic enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough, you're not a party, you're not part of our tribe. So we're not willing to take your yeah. uh, uh, signs, have you sign on. Um, but I think that. And and yet you
1: represent, I think, the majority of America right now because I think most Americans want to find that middle ground now I guess I know why they do call you the unicorn because it's a really hard space um, and you know I think that you know as a peace builder you know I, I remember a lot of people asking me and even on like on on in the media which I was surprised that they would ask this question it's like well the time has come you must choose between your identities are you American or are you Arab are you American are you Muslim and right. you know there was like these consistent questions of trying to force me to choose and it's like no the time is more important than ever to merge that this is the moment where I refuse to choose and that's when you you know as the bridge builders we step up strongly Um, i think what worries me is it's not just about attacking the other side um you know as you know i've studied trauma and resilience in the neuroscience of the brain and you know what we've done on a national level is we have jacked up our nervous systems to such an extreme to this constant watching of news that it's actually become the familiar And so we've actually forgotten how to be in a place of love. We've forgotten what brings us joy. We're just almost like that familiar sense of shock, that familiar sense of needing to take action, of reaction. Um, is where we're at. And it's, it's not where peace is built. It's not where we can hear one another. It's not where bridges are built. That's where you're in that fight or flight mode. Um, and, you know, it's, we have to just bring down the nervous system once more. And, you know, I don't know how Biden's going to do that. It can't be through false appeasement. You know, this is where I do get a little bit worried that there is a little bit of like, let's all hold hands so no one can hold a gun and he'll lose his base if he doesn't take more strong action.
0: I agree. I think I think there's a your assessment about trauma and is 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 spot on. We're all used we're all used to reacting to things. I'm used to being the person that kind of pushes things down because I gotta deal with all the crazy and do it Behind closed doors, and, and you do muscles. it
1: well. I've seen this, so you do it really well.
0: <laughs> now that Muslims for Muslims is kicking, and we've got the Crossing Face podcast uh, and all this other stuff, we're doing it more in the open. Um, but in but the the idea of you know, the the secondary trauma, where we are now accepting the the, the the like what's going on with the president. A lot of the Trumpers by the, the Trumpers, they are they are accepting that the, his trauma. Um, as if if it's if it's theirs. Uh instead of looking at it as okay, the, this vote happened, he won the election back in the day in 2016, 2020s, the, the Dems. Okay, everything's fine. The no, they're 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 spearheading this this agenda. I mean, I've seen a lot of um some of my some of my old 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 service buddies that are in there, that are on that were veterans for Trump and all kinds of other stuff, have um they're they've they've created these own charts that show that, that Trump wins. 315 uh, electoral votes. Like they have a chart, the same chart of the country, but it's changed, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I, go, I go, what is this? They go, well, it's, I go, this is, what is this, some kind of theoretical thing? They go, no, this is, this is the win. And they're, and they're doing it to show loyalty. They're doing it to show uh, what, what, what they're saying. This is what's actually happened, that these elections will be overturned in different states. And they're doing it not because they're subversive, not because they're uh, trying to be malicious they're doing it because th- it's a it's a paternal relationship yeah. and and I mean paternal in the sense that they really believe that he's like a father figure like a czar uh, yeah. and like yeah. a, and Tsarist Russia and they want to they want to comfort him and, yeah. the, and they're sending it to me going send this to Trump and I go I, I was like I'm not I'm not sending nonsense and they're going no please because I, I'm worried about him yeah and I'm like Scratching my head going, uh, well, it's the president. He doesn't really know you. You know, like I'm trying to go through this whole thing. But they really feel it's like, oh, you know, he's our father. He's our benefactor. And he's sad. Yeah. Oh,
1: (laughs) that's that's crazy. Yeah, (laughs) But but that's,
0: I mean, this is a literal conversation. So, um, and so I'm going, oh, okay. Uh, And I, I think that there, so this is to your point that about the psychology behind it is much more, uh, has much more breadth and scope to it than than I think on the the cursory sort of surface evaluation. Uh, and there, it is tribal. It is familial. There's there's and there we've been dealing with so much trauma. People feel like they're hurting their family.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. If they hurt the party or go against it
1: well, people are hurting their families, right? I mean, like, think about the family feuds. Think about how many people were, would joke every year when Thanksgiving would roll around and be like, we can't have, you know, have this conversation. We can't have that. Yeah. Um, I know with my friends, I had to set some ground rules because I didn't want to enter conversations that would end up being triggering. And, you know, even though people would- i giggling because, have, you
0: know, I, I'm just a big trigger with you, you know? So,
1: yeah, we, we, well, you <laughs> but you do like, it on purpose. Like, I'm totally well, convinced you, know. you do it on purpose. Yeah. You have that little scan and can see the Hot flash! and be like boop boop, boop right I just there. Just wish but... the
0: Palestinians would just give back the pyramids, and then everything would be okay. I, I, just, I, I just Okay, just
1: <laughs> I'll leave that there. But yeah, and I remember one friend pushing back on me and being like, "This is what you do for a living. Like, if I can't have a conversation with you." And I was like, no, like this is like self-care comes first. And if I can't come home to a place where I feel safe and like yeah. go out with friends where I feel safe, then that place isn't just like, where are you going to get it? Um, so I think that there is definitely a lot of harm and hurt that happened in between families and friends that also needs mending. I mean, you know, the Facebook feuds alone could be an entitled book, like the amount of stuff that went down there was, was really off the charts.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think we well, just look at us. You know, we, we we have a lot of coffee. We 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 hang out and do all kinds of stuff. And and uh, you know, my hands are completely up on Israel, past yeah. it, right? So like, and we've had our we've had our run-ins. Uh, so, and, and it's not because I'm not interested in the issue. And it's not because I'm not about justice. It's just that it, it it's 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 a family issue with you. It's yeah. it's not close to home. It is home. Um, Absolutely. And uh, and so you know, there's. And I have very similar similar issues when it comes to you know Afghanistan and how I feel about certain things. so um so, so so, I, you I know, think
1: that, one one thing ahead. that i I do want to highlight is like for me, social justice is a personal issue right yeah. you can't talk about it in terms of like oh this is a political or this is policy all of it is a social issue so you know palestine opened cuz i'm palestinian it opened my eyes to injustices but then by default it made black lives matter a personal issue it made right. kashmir a personal issue it made kurdistan a personal issue you know i was in sudan when it was one country and the conversations around yeah. the division became a personal issue so yeah, you know I, I think that's the beauty of being touched by injustices is your eyes are awakened you know i think this is i always joke as a muslim woman like a lot of my friends fall in the lgbtq camp and it's because we both know that the mainstream lie to us constantly and yep. so although our issues can't be further you know apart in terms of political or in terms of sexual liberties but at the end of the day i think if you've tasted injustice in any form that veil drops and you can see through so much that you haven't seen before so yeah. honestly all these injustices are personal to me and i refuse to pretend that they're not
0: no i i and i, I you know we we espouse the same view and we feel that you know we we have this the same, same, same manner looking at things. I I just had this conversation about the commissioners at, at the United States Commission for International Religious Freedom. And I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but there's an appointee that, uh, there's a commissioner who is a Uyghur. And mm-hmm. I go, and I go out of all the commissioners, this is the only one that's been, that actually has been through something. Uh, the rest of them sure. are all talking about it, you know? And, uh, and and so and and they might have personal trauma, this and that. But when it comes to religious persecution, and you know, and and actually being in country and having this is the guy. Oh, um, that, that, uh, are you going to say? I, I, I hope you're not going to counterbalance me. Well, if you are, it's okay. But. But, but the point okay. is is that is that is is that it's interesting because it's different than taking a trip over to the Middle East and then crapping out a few books and then and having the idea of something right um yeah. and that's very very different than than being you know i'm a fourth generation refugee I don't claim to be a refugee at all but i I do know that the effect of what happens to its families this is this right here okay yeah um <laughs> you know and and I know that uh uh, you know, but, but living in and working in countries and spending time doing that as opposed to just flying in makes a big difference. Um yeah. and 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 that allows you to own the issues uh, that are that and 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 be able to translate them into something that's useful when it comes to policy records or programming or whatever the hell it is that we do. So um, but um I think that it, it's it's strange because the identity that that you have identity that I have, the identity that a lot of Americans have. And this doesn't just speak to Muslims, different faith groups, mm-hmm. different ethnic groups, different cultures, Americans, Americans, you know, whatever you want to say. We all have been dealing with uh, a, a long period of, 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 of trauma and it didn't start with Trump.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely not. Yeah,
0: it, it, it didn't start with Trump. Uh, I mean, arguably, maybe it started in, in the 90s. I, I, maybe you could say that when it comes to politics turning into a feud. Uh,
1: probably with Reagan, but yeah,
0: well, I always say it was Newt Gingrich who was, was probably the one of the most intelligent who really
1: brought it up. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just,
0: I, you know, I, I just, one of the, I mean, he was probably one of the top three constitutional scholars in, in Washington at the time when he was Speaker of the House. And mm-hmm. he turned, he turned, uh, the, the whole thing into vendetta politics. He's the guy who's, who made it where if you were a Republican talking to a Dem, you would be not, you, you wouldn't be invited to the meeting or you'd be ignored in the meeting. And he started that switch um uh into vendetta politics and and it's such a shame because he's such a he's a he's probably he's a genius when it comes to constitutional politics um I would love to see him get in in the fray about constitutional politics and talk about stuff from a perspective of really his his skill set but he's he's got he, he's, he's, he's uh he's really all about pushing the the whole the vendetta forward and creating this idea of of um of the feud, which he succeeded um, and was probably the forefather of I don't know if Reagan so much was that, but uh, Reagan mm-hmm. was Reagan. No, I
1: think that's fair in terms of the intellectual. I think in terms of policies, that's what began to really impact the divide. That's what really began to impact, you know, our public education system. You know, I, I tend to be very sympathetic when we're, you know, yelling how ignorant America is when we've actually gutted our public education system and surprised 30 years later to see what we have. Um, But, you know, I think you you mentioned about the different identities we have and what we're bringing to the table. And, you know, when we actually first met, if you remember that on the panel, I talked about the Islamic concept of Amana. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I am someone who takes it really seriously. Like, I do feel that whatever opportunity is given to us in this lifetime, as a person of faith, we're held accountable for what we do with it. Um, And when I look at my skill set, you know, I'm I'm a trained economist, and I'm a trained negotiator, and I've helped other countries in transitions. Um, And as you know, I've been based overseas over the last two years. And because of Corona, I kind of got stuck in the US. But now I've really come to believe like that I have a responsibility as a citizen to share that skill set to help in whatever is coming what next. Um, And I've decided, you know, you know, not to do it through the government lens, but do it through the civic lens, because that's where I'm the strongest. And that's where my background is the strongest. Um, So I do hope everyone kind of looks inward, you know, it's great to tell other people what to do. Um, And I think I'll speak as a Democrat, we've been pretty horrible, like we've been pretty nasty, just assuming everyone's a racist, very condescending. And, you know, our heads tilt when we're trying to explain to people why they're wrong. And, you know, that can be very triggering for a lot of people. And I think it's time everybody just look inward, think about their specific skill set and how they're going to use it to really see and create the next world, the next transition, the next country that they want to live in, because You know, whether you know it or not, the social contract is being renegotiated globally. Yeah. You know, there are too many issues for us to be holding on to the old contract. And, you know, I, I this is where my work in Europe has been really um, energizing, is that there are leaps and bounds ahead. You know, when I'm talking about trauma and the social contract, those are very normal conversations in Germany, in Paris, and, you know, other contexts. And I, I see the rolling of the eyes. No, they're not it. working. I, I mean, let's it. just be
0: honest. They're all eating cheese and bread, and, you <laughs> know, they got a lot of time off. You know, they, so, I mean, let's just be... You know, I mean, they're 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 on they vacation eight weeks a year. You know, so they're not <laughs> hustling like we are. But
1: I mean, they're, I give, the it they're so They're doing sensitive. something right.
0: You yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, there's much more sense it, But that's that's my pro-America stance. Okay. Yeah, sensitive. I
1: mean, fair enough, fair enough. I'd like to see a lot more. I mean, you know, keeping keeping in mind they are the you know um, father and mother of colonialism. So I'm not promoting Europe completely, but at the same time, I'm saying the transitions, the way they've learned from history. You know, I'd like to see everyone, including America, deal better with their colonial past. But, you know, there is trends that we're still lagging behind on the international scene. And, you know, I'm proud of my adopted homeland. You know, I really, really, really believe in the American experiment. You know, I've lived in countries all over the world. And I always say, as a Muslim, as an Arab, and more importantly, as a woman, um, and probably as a Muslim woman, I wouldn't want to be in any other country than this country, um, because we still have a basic respect for the rule of law. I hope that this is what's really being tested in this transition. I hope that continues to stand. Um, But as long as we have that respect for rule of law, um, despite its inequities, despite its problems, we have a system to fight within.
0: I appreciate the comments. I know that we're, we're running out of time, so I wanted to, that, you know, you have the last word. So, um, um, and I appreciate you um, um, giving your insights on in this moment. So, this is uh, Crossing Faiths, our, our production of uh, Roll Top Productions and Muslims for Muslims International. Our special guest on a post-election of eval was Manal Omar with Across Red Lines. If you uh, will, in the in the show notes, we'll put some uh, some sexy. Uh, 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 links one is to uh, let love in the campaign that is uh, across red lines is 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 promoting right now and and it's a, a, a the idea behind it is is to create a video of how you let love in and maybe you know, the, you could just give us a one last uh one liner what's the elevator pitch on a, on uh, on let love in so people can can get motivated and 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 participate
1: I think it's just you know remember your place of joy, and whenever you're in that place where you're feeling tension and frustration, go back to that place of joy. And I think that that's what we're hoping to share and inspire one another about by sharing our own personal places of joy.
0: I asked mom yesterday, um, can we do a let love in video? And she goes, well, my she goes, well, my love's conditional. So I said, she just <laughs> started right up. The, so he's like, I don't know which day are we gonna do it on. So we could think <laughs> about that note. But thank you so much, Manal, for taking your time, and I appreciate thank you for having your insights. Me. And, uh, and I will, um, and then we'll look forward to doing this again soon.
1: Great. Thank you for having me. It's always great.
0: This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins
1: and John Penna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at mthawk, at JTPinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at CrossingFans.com.